1912, Carl Stearns Clancy and a buddy departed to ride around the world on a seven-horsepower Henderson motorcycle, which, by the way, was a whopping 934cc. 934cc producing seven horsepower. Interesting. Now, that sentence says so much. I mean, the world back then was different. Travel was certainly different, more arduous, if not challenging. But you can imagine the reliability of motorcycles of 1912. It's not even close to what we have today. I mean, even 1960 was not even close to what we have today. But think about tires, tires in 1912. Other than being round and holding air, they're nothing like the tires that we have today. In a way, we've got it so easy. The modern motorcycle is incredibly reliable, both engine, like mechanically, electrically, everything is incredibly reliable. But the tire, the tire is also amazingly tough and reliable. But even still, our modern tires go flat every now and then. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because I'm thinking, you know, the skill of changing a tire or fixing a flat tire in a motorcycle seems to be something that, well, let's say it's it's sparsely sprinkled in a group of riders standing together. There are some people that do it and don't think anything of it. There's other people who get very sweaty palmed about it. And then there's a lot of people who like to stand around and watch other people do it in awe, like they're watching some sort of incredible feat. And it's just a tire. Imagine what it was like to ride in 1912 or 1940 or 1950 or 1960. Our world has definitely changed as far as riders, but we still have to deal with the tire thing. I mean, as reliable as they are, they still do go flat. And if it's just this one little thing, why don't more people learn how to do it on their own? And I think it's because it seems scary. It seems daunting. This whole idea of having to take things apart and wrestle a tire on. Well, the fact of the matter is, Patching the tube or plugging a tire is actually very simple. Because the thing is, when it comes to patching or plugging, plugging not so much, but definitely with patching a tube, it often becomes a bit of a, a, a mystery or this thing that people don't fully understand, in part because they're probably using the wrong products to do the job. So if you use a patch on your tube that isn't a good quality patch or isn't meant to do the job or it's not installed correctly and it leaks again, it sort of builds a whole sort of mystery of will it work, will it not work? The fact is, if you learn how to do it and you use the right tools, then it's going to work. Today, we're talking about doing those repairs. We're going to give you some insights from David Peterson, who lives and breathes. He's one of these rare people who actually lives and breathes flat tires. He gets excited. He may tell you he doesn't get excited, but I, I am certain he gets excited when one of his buddies gets a flat tire. Probably not so much him, but one of his buddies gets a flat tire because he can jump right in there and put his skills to work. So sit back, soak this in, pick up the tips from David, and learn to fix your own tire. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manicum, Ted Simon, Austin Vance, Simon Pavey, Bill Burgoo, Helga Pedersen, Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Grant Johnson, Graham Jarvis, Elspeth Britney Smith, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. Motobreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. 
And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, CyclePump.com. David Peterson. Uh, I run Best Rest Products and I'm the inventor of the cycle pump tire inflator and some other motorcycle accessories. Uh, currently we're in Spirit Lake, Idaho. Used to be out on the coast north of Seattle, but moved out here two or three years ago. And so I'm overlooking forests and trees and deer and turkey and all the other things that you find out here in the countryside. David, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. Sounds like a beautiful place you live in. Is is that a, a difference from your old place? Was your old place more oh, industrial yeah. or something? Well, it was in the city and, you know, neighbors right next door. And here there's 10 acres and some elbow room. So it's uh, it's quite a change. And uh, every day I wake up with a smile on my face and thank the Lord for where I am. Wow, that's that's really nice. Now, do you have friends in that area or do you just happen to land there because it was a nice spot? We didn't know anybody out here, and the wife said, well, let's go look at Idaho, and came out here and fell in love with it. So I'd been through on motorcycles and various trips in the past and kind of knew the general layout, but when we got here, didn't know a soul and slowly developing our circle of friends and, uh, you know, got other friends from Western Washington that have moved out here, uh, motorcycling community guys, and so... I don't know if they're following me or they're just <laughs> going after the same uh, uh, country and lifestyle that, that I just decided to choose. Mm -hmm. Getting away. That's it. What, what kind of riding do you do? Well, I do a variety. Of course, you know, looking back, I was a lot better <laughs> than I am now. But I, I do street riding. I've got a BMW RT, 1200 RT, and I do adventure riding. I've had a variety of adventure bikes. Right now I'm on uh, BMW 800GS and then I do uh, trail bike riding and had a bunch of those. And my my uh, bike of choice right now is a 450 EXC. So it's uh, good for single track. And so I can do all the disciplines. Uh, not as good as I used to, but uh, I know enough to not hurt myself. Let's put it that way. When you say not as good as you used to, you mean because bikes aren't made quite to the right, they're not as good as what they used to be? No, it's, <laughs> it's more the, the writer is, oh. isn't, quite, isn't quite the man that he used to be. <laughs> oh, I was trying to give you an out there, David. Is what I was trying oh, to thank do. you. Well, I, I didn't take it. <laughs> Let's face it, I'm getting old. Hey, what, what got you so interested in tire repair? 
Well, you know, I started out writing and I didn't give a thought about tire repair or anything like that. And, uh, on some rides, ran into some issues and, uh, one ride in California where we're out in the middle of nowhere and realized that we needed to lower the air in our tires to get better traction. And, uh, we did that. And when we hit the highway, we said, guess what? We don't have any way to get these things back up to pressure and we've got a long way to go. So we had to limp into town. So that was kind of the beginning of the idea of making a tire inflator. And then, you know, I've had punctures and things like that. And, you know, as a BMW rider, you always had that cute little kit that BMW used to put in your toolbox, uh, which was better than nothing, but not, not much better. And I started investigating, you know, how to make repairs. And I've had quite a few along the trail, both tubed and tubeless. And, you know, uh, you learn from your mistakes and you learn from uh, running into a problem and having to fix it out in the middle of, uh, you know, some lonely stretch of highway or on top of some mountain on some trail. So the learning curve was, you know, not a school thing, but a practical experience. Uh, run into this issue, how do I fix it? And over time, developed some some skills and some ideas and tested this and tested that and uh, came up with the the brands and the things that I sell now. Wouldn't you agree that it seems that the people who hate doing tire repairs probably lack the knowledge of how to do it? Like, that's what's so frustrating about it. It's a mystery. And, you know, it's something probably niggling in the back of their mind wondering, well, maybe they don't wonder. Uh, but, you know, if they have an issue, what do they do? And a lot of people approach this as, uh, well, if I have a problem, I'll get on my phone and I'll call a wrecker and have them come out and haul my bike to town. And that's one way of handling it. You know, it's kind of pulling your, your covers over your head, hoping that the boogie monster under the bed isn't going to come out and bite you. But eventually everybody will have a puncture, whether it's on a car or a motorcycle and in a car, it's no big deal. You got a spare on a motorcycle. It's not quite that same way. You have to either uh, fix it yourself or you're going to have to call or get help to have somebody fix it for you. So you believe that the uh, ability to repair a flat tire on a motorcycle is sort of an essential skill, in particular with adventure bikes? Well, yes. Um, if you're going to ride in the woods or on trails, um, you're going to have issues along the way. They can be motorcycle mechanical issues. Uh, you know, people carry a toolkit to fix that. And you're going to have tire issues. And why not be prepared to handle that also? It's really not difficult. A couple of simple tools, some basic knowledge, and uh, you're prepared for uh, most eventualities. You know, I would say that, uh, you know, what are the things that cause you to stop riding on the trail other than falling down? Uh, mechanical breakdown, so you figure out a way to fix it. Uh, Running out of fuel, well, that's fuel management. Tire issue, well, you need to deal with that. And you've got two of them, they're rolling over the ground and picking up sticks and stones and nails and bumper hitches and railroad spikes and all the other things that you might encounter. And if you're not able to address that, then you're really leaving your your fate in the, or your, your ride in the hands of fate. So a little preparation, a few tools, a few dollars spent 
little knowledge and you can take care of that and be on your way. The flat tire is probably your most common scenario. That's, that's one of the more common things that happens. A mechanical breakdown, you can say, well, I'm not a mechanic. And to learn everything to do with mechanics is going to take a huge amount to figure that out. And then, you know, there, there's something to that. But when it comes to tire repair, anyone can learn this. Like you can teach someone, can anyone, right? So anyone can learn how to do it. And then you've all of a sudden opened things up. You've really got true freedom with the motorcycle. Right. You take the mystery out of it and you, you show them what you can and cannot do. You explain the, the limitations of what your repairs may be. And that's solved a lot of problems for you when you're out on the trail. Now, let's face it. There are times when you have cra- catastrophic tire failure and, you know, the ride is over. You're going to have to maybe take the rim assembly off the bike and haul it into town because you shredded the sidewall or something. Mm-hmm. We can't address that. But 95% of all tire failures are a puncture. And that's easy to fix. And, and why not be prepared when you head out over the horizon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to walk through this today. We're going to talk about how to repair. You're going to give some tips and tricks, some of the things that you've learned over the many years of doing it. And I know you're, you're that type that when you come across somebody with a flat tire, you love to jump right in there and help them with it. So it just shows your enthusiasm for fixing flat tires. So let's begin with, I, I guess we got to decide, or we have to understand the difference between tube and tubeless and figure out what uh, our bike has. Talk about that. Well, kind of depending upon the brand and perhaps the price point of the bike, um, lower price point bikes and smaller displacement bikes, they often run tube tires. You know, they've got spokes, traditional spokes, and the spokes go to the center of the rim. And at the center of the rim is a tightening fitting so that you can tighten the spokes. Uh, Trouble is that it's almost impossible to seal all those holes. And so the manufacturer puts a tube inside your tire carcass. Um, That's a tube tire. And and although there are bikes that, that have spokes, most bikes, other than BMW, if they have spokes, they are going to be tube style. I hope that doesn't get too confusing, but really what it comes down to, you have to identify which type of, of rim you have, and that tells you whether there's a tube inside, and that tells you what type of repair you're going to make. If you have cast wheels, you're dealing almost certainly with a tubeless tire, and those repairs are very easy to make. Tubes are harder. Right. And the reason you started out with that definition of, of the thing with the spokes in the middle and the spokes on the outside is because you used to be able to look at a spoked rim and say, okay, that's going to be a tube type tire, but that's changed with this new mounting of the spokes on the outside of the rim with the BMWs. And I think KTM does as well. Right. There is a variation of that. I think it might be on a Yamaha where they have spokes and some type of proprietary uh, method, which seals that rim so that it is an airtight a barrier to prevent air from coming out. Mm. And I can't speak to what it is, but, uh, you know, owner's manual might tell you, uh, the writing community would give you some hints and tips and looking at the sidewall of the tire will also give you, uh, a good guidance as to what type of a repair it is. And just one other thing with that is there are conversion kits. We did something on a, on a conversion kit some years back where it comes with tape, et cetera, where you basically are turning your tube type rim into a tubeless rim by way of making it seal. It doesn't fully make the conversion because it doesn't have the same shoulder. But uh, anyway, just so people know that that's, it's a possibility to come across spokes in the middle of the rim. And like you said, the Yamaha version or on any bike actually have, 
um, having it been converted to a tubeless tire. Yeah, here's the thing. You're stuck with the rim that you have on your bike unless you decide when you go out to the dealer, uh, I want to definitely get a bike with with tubeless rims or I'm willing to to accept the trade-offs to have uh, a lower price bike or a different style of bike that has tube rims because I'm going to be running really low pressure. And tube rims, you can run lower pressure because um, you can, you know, drop the pressure down to practically nothing with a heavy-duty tube and get maximum traction. Um, I can't do that with tubeless tires because the tubeless tire requires a certain pressure to keep the sidewalls against the rim. Once you break that bead, um, you have another series of issues. So before we get into talking about how to do the repairs, let's just cover roughly what tools you need to carry for tire repairs. Well, that depends, of course, upon the type of rim you have. If you have tube tires, you're going to need all the tools necessary to take the wheel off the bike. So you're going to have to have a side stand or a center stand and something to get the bike up so that you can remove the wheel assembly. Uh, and that means you're going to have to have axle wrenches and then you're going to have to have tire irons to spoon that tire off so you can get to the inner tube. And then you're going to have to have a way to break the bead on the tube tire so that you can pull that tube out. A whole lot more tools involved, much more complicated, much more time consuming than if you had a tubeless tire. In the case of a tubeless tire, the only tool you need is a small tire repair kit and something to fill the tire with. So you can certainly understand the attraction for a tubeless tire. Exactly. There is a, a great attraction to tubeless tire because in the event of a puncture, it will take you five minutes to fix things and get back on the road, and that includes your inflation time. Whereas a tube tire, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I've done this a lot of times. And I've done it in a half an hour, but I, it usually takes 45. And if it's a hot, dusty day, it's going to take me an hour. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there's other people that are, I'm sure, much better than I. But for a guy that's doing it the first time, it's a daunting practice. And, you know, on top of some mountain or, like I said, on some lonely horizon in some, you know, highway out in the middle of nowhere, uh, it's going to ruin your day. You want to make this repair as quickly as possible and, and get back on the trail or get back on the road. So there is a distinct advantage to a tubeless system. But there are advantages to a tube system if you're running very low pressure off-road, uh, you know, maximum traction, maximum tire flex, so that you get up over that hill or over all those rocks. Okay, so before we jump into the actual repair procedures for the tube and tubeless tires, can you take a minute and talk about the difference between repairing a car tire and the motorcycle tire, as far as liability issue goes and, and the, the things you may hear in a shop, for instance, if you take your motorcycle tire in and want them to make a repair to it. Can, can you just talk about that? Okay. So, you know, some people are, are very comfortable with having their automobile tubeless tire repaired at an automobile shop. And they take the wheel off the rim and they scuff the inside and they put on a special patch. And off the car goes and they wear the tire out. Nobody thinks about that. But motorcycle tires are a little bit different um, because you've only got two of them. They're narrow cross-section. They're round. You use 
the sidewall of the tire as well as the flat of the tire, they're subject to a lot more stress. And if something goes wrong, I mean, sadness can happen in a hurry. Uh, motorcycle tire manufacturers don't want you to make a repair for liability reasons. And so, you know, you got a brand new tire and you go 50 miles and you got a hole and you plug it. Um, they want you to get a new tire. Some people might say it's because they want to sell more tires. I don't think they're that devious. I think it's more about rider safety. But uh, automobile repairs and motorcycle repairs, one's an apple, one's an orange, but don't throw the orange out simply because you had to make the repair. Keep an eye on it. Understand that any repair that you make is a 50-50 rule where you ride 50 miles at no greater than 50 miles an hour until you get home or to a shop and you have that tire replaced. That's a good rule of thumb, very prudent. At least it got you off the top of the mountain or it got you off the far horizon and it got you into the nearest dealership and you can sleep well at night knowing that you've got fresh rubber on your bike with no holes in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can certainly see the liability aspect from a manufacturer's point of view, but in, in the real world, I mean, have you ever got a flat twice in a row? You know, on the same day, <laughs> imagine, oh, yeah. imagine what yeah. that'd be like for tires. What are you going to have a chase truck with you? Well, <laughs> one episode on the, on the Idaho BDR, my buddy had a, a flat on his Africa twin and we stopped and we fixed it and we rode a, a mile, no kidding. And the tire went flat again and we had to make another repair. These were tube tires. And unfortunately in our haste and in the, the heat of the moment, we forgot to check to see if there was more than one puncture. And so after all the drama of taking the wheel off the rim and fixing it and fixing the tube and putting it on, we didn't think to look for two holes. If you have, if you have one hole, you may have two holes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take a few moments and, and double check that. Uh, it, it wasted two hours on the trail that were better spent climbing up to the next ridge. Yeah, very frustrating. I think we've all done that. Okay, we're going to start with tube tires. So uh, I, I asked you about the tools for tube tires. What tools will we need for a tube type tire? You're going to need every wrench that you need to pull that wheel assembly off the bike. So you're going to need axle wrenches and any any smaller wrenches that would loosen the the chain tensioner or in the front if you've got pinch bolts to pull that axle out. And then pull the axle and remove the entire wheel assembly. And, you know, hopefully you have a center stand. If not, you use a side stand and you use a stick or something to prop the bike up so it's not lying on the ground. Um, but once you've done that, you get the wheel off and you lay it on a clean surface of some sort so you don't booger up your bearings with dirt. Then you have to use tire irons to spoon the tire off the rim. And before that, you have to break the bead. And uh, depending upon the bike and the wheel, it may be easy or it may be difficult. There are guys that can break a bead using just tire irons, but you may need to carry a special dedicated bead breaker device to break the bead. And when I say break the bead, I mean breaking the adhesive seal between the rubber and the rim all the way around on both sides. Uh, simply getting the wheel off the bike is part one, but then breaking the bead is part two, and then finally spooning the, the tire off the rim so you can get to the tube is part three. And then part four is pulling the tube out, finding the hole, uh, scuffing 
the hole with some type of a scuffer uh, to rough up the the rubber. Wait, first, applying. how are you finding the hole? Oh, yeah, I'm jumping so far ahead. <laughs> if you have an inflator, put some air in the tire. Sometimes you can identify. Uh, I mean, you look at the tire itself before it comes off. Here's Mr. Nail, and it's pretty easy to find that. And when you take the the tube out, you have a general idea of where Mr. Nail went through Mr. Tube. Um, but sometimes you can't find it, or it's a small hole. So you use your inflator and you inflate your tube to a few PSI so that you have an inflated donut, and you look and listen to find where that hole is. And if you have a piece of chalk or maybe a little marker or something, you, you mark that and look for others. And once you're satisfied that you have identified where the hole is, then you begin to the process of making the repair on the tube itself. And depending on where you are, if you had, if you had soapy water, for instance, that would make it very, very easy, right? Putting it in water. Or the other thing I was going to mention is putting it right up by your face. I find that helps me sometimes. Well, that's generally what I do. Uh, you know, my ears aren't as good as they used to be. I used to be able to, to hear the hissing air, but not always. So, you know, I slowly move the tire around looking and listening and, uh, if there's a little bit of air pushing out, you can feel it against your face. Sometimes it's very obvious and other times it's not. But you keep looking until you find it. And uh, don't give up and, and put everything back in because you haven't solved the problem. But once you've found your hole, then you have to take the rubber tube. And what I do is I lay it over my knee as a workbench. And then I take a small scuffing tool looks like a rat tail rasp, so to speak. It's just got a roughing surface. And I rough up the area uh, a couple inches around the, that hole so the rubber is nice and, and furry, I guess you'd say. And then I use a, a, a cement or an adhesive and put it on there, a dab of it on there, and spread it around so that it's larger than the patch. And then I take my patch and remove the protective covering and then lay the patch over the hole, and then I use a, I use a roller tool to, to, it's called stitching out the patch. Basically, it's just pressing this patch down onto the rubber of the tube, uh, making sure there's no creases or bubbles or anything like that. So the idea, and when you put the cement on, when you're, when you're putting that cement on the patch, the idea is you're making an area, as you said, larger than the patch itself that you're going to stick to, and then are you letting that glue dry? Before you're sticking it, because this is contact cement, correct? Well, yeah, either contact or some type of a vulcanizing compound. And it goes on wet. And if you've ever worked with contact cement, you know, when you roll it out to do a countertop or something, it's real shiny. And then within a few minutes, it flashes off or all the volatile compounds have gone off and it turns kind of a dull color. Um, so you have to let it set just a little bit. Now, depending upon ambient temperature and sunlight, that can be very quick, you know, a matter of a minute. And if it's real rainy and wet and it's a gloomy day, it may take you 10 or 15 minutes. It's just, it's a, it's an eyeball thing and a practice thing. Um, and, but usually within two or three minutes, the glue has, has created like a skin on top of it. And then it's ready for you to put the patch on. Right. And the, the patch itself comes pre-coated with the material that's going to stick extra well to that material you just put on. That's right. And it almost always has a protective film on it to protect that 
that treated surface so that, you know, as it, the kit's rattling around inside your, your tool kit, it doesn't pick up dirt and other things that could interfere with the adhesion. So, uh, you know, quality kits will have patches with a protective coating. Uh, and that's what you want to look for when you're making your purchase decision is a, a kit that has good components. Now, you mentioned stitching it with the wheel. This is a tiny wheel on a, on a little handle. And the idea of this is to, to put really a, a lot of pressure in a tiny little spot, right, as you're working your way around this patch to make right. sure those two surfaces are really stuck together. And the, the wheel rolls the force. Uh, you start at the center, and then you go in a starburst pattern. Uh, so you're pushing from the hole towards the edges. And as you do that, you're pushing out any air. You're pushing the rubber against the rubber. And then finally around the edges of the patch, I do a, a I go around all the edges and I kind of push them down and push them down and push them down so that uh, there's no chance that the edge of that patch can, can roll up when I'm putting the tube back inside the tire. Right. Okay. So what do we do now? Well, then you've, you've got your repair made, uh, you know, put a few PSI in there, check to make sure that the patch is holding, look for other holes. Okay. It's all good. Uh, let the air out. And then you stuff this, this tube back into the tire carcass. Okay. So, so hang, hang on. Did you talk about checking the carcass itself? I didn't. And I'm glad you mentioned that because okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what bit me on the trail. <laughs> right. <laughs> you've, you've got your tube out. Yeah, you want to take your hand and you want to run it all the way around the inside of that carcass um, because there may be something sticking th through the carcass that would go against the tube. And believe me, your knuckles will find that nail or that thorn or whatever as you put your hand around and you check to make sure there's, there's no other uh, things that are going to poke Mr. Tube. So, yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay, what's next? Okay, so the, the tube goes back inside. You know, tube, you're kind of like you're stuffing this this thing that's a little bit too big into this tire that's a little bit, seems a little bit too small. And, and you can end up with kinks and creases and twists as you're doing this. Um, so once the tube is inside the first half of the, of the tire and in the rim, then once again, you add some air. And the purpose of that is the air will cause those kinks, those creases to pop out. The, the tube will straighten itself into a natural position. This is a tiny, then, tiny bit of air you're saying, just enough to sort of give it some shape. Right, right. And then let the air out of the tube again. So, you know, we've, we've done this two or three times, but uh, do it right and do it the first time and it'll save you a lot of headache later on. So then you finally have the, the tube laid properly. It's where it wants to be. And then you have to uh, get the, the tire back onto the rim. And that's an art in itself. Uh, not that it's difficult, but there are, there are techniques to it that will make it either very easy or one of the most frustrating experiences of your life. <laughs> if you don't understand the dynamics between the diameter of the, the wheel and the diameter of the opening of the tire. And I've done several videos on that. Uh, you can, you know, do a YouTube search and, and learn about it. But really, what it comes down to is that the the diameter of the opening in the side of the tire is smaller than the diameter of the outer rim. 
And unless you play a trick on the rim and you get that, that tire bead down into the well of the rim on one side, you're not going to have working room on the other side. Um, and, you know, this, this segment is not about that, but it's something that you need to study and understand before you go out there in the field. And then you have to worry about as you're spooning this that you don't accidentally pinch the tube between your tire iron and the rim because then you've got another hole to deal with. And so uh, repairing tubes and reinstalling tubes is, is a skill much like learning clutch work. <laughs> I mean, you know, the first time you pop your clutch, the bike does a wheelie. And uh, uh, it's like, you know, putting a tube back in a tire and spooning the tire back on. First time may be difficult, but if your mentor teaches you how to do it and smoothly release your clutch, as you give it a little bit of throttle, you find the friction point on your clutch, the bike starts off very nicely. Similarly, when you're doing a, uh, a tube tire uh, spoon on of the tire to the rim, if you, you learn the techniques, uh, it will go very smoothly and quickly. And the fact that you conscientiously lubed the rim in the proper places using a tire lube, it helps that, that tire slip over the rim much more easily. If you're doing dry rubber to dry metal, uh, there's going to be heartache, and it, it doesn't make it a lot of fun. You can do it, but it's, it's, you're just making your bet the hard way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got the tire back on. Uh, got the tire on. Now you have to, you know, line everything up, get the wheel back in between either the, the swing arm or back in the axle, line up your, your axle, get your chain on your sprocket, uh, you know, bang everything back in, bang everything back in place and, uh, you know, tighten all your nuts and your adjusters and tensioners. And, and, uh, of course you've already filled your tire to full pressure before you put it on. It's just easier to do it when it's on the ground in front of you. So, um, there's a lot to changing out this tube tire. Uh, much more than I enjoy doing, which is why I've converted my tubeless rims, all the ones that I can, I've converted them over to tubeless. Mm. Well, it certainly saves a lot of work. I mean, you can just hear it in describing it. So let's just talk for a minute, though, about that patch that you put on and the cement that you used. You have some recommendations for patches and cement. Can you talk about those? Well, you can go down to the auto parts store and buy a very expensive We're going to take a quick break, then we're going to get back with more. We've got a lot more to talk about, actually, and there's some tips coming up that you will not want to miss near the end, actually right through to the end. So, so stay with us. I've got a few things that I know you're going to be interested in that I want to tell you about, but when we come back, a lot more. Overland Expo has done an incredible job at producing some of the biggest shows ever for overlanding. Coming up is Overland Expo West this May 19th to 20th in Flagstaff, Arizona. Overland Expo West. Get trained, get outfitted, and get inspired to explore the world at Overland Expo. It's held at Fort Tuthill Park in Flagstaff, Arizona. They say it's the greatest collection of overland adventure companies in the world with over 400 gear vendors. I mean, that number is just incredible. Outfit your motorcycle for your next adventure. 
Test drive adventure bikes from Triumph, Ural, Royal Enfield, and more. That's all there. Camp with your friends at the new Moto Camp area with the day or evening passes. Build your off-road confidence with interactive courses, seminars, training. You can get inspired visiting the authors, filmmakers, and other travelers hosting workshops and classes and sharing their stories from the road. Get your tickets online and your camping passes, all available at overlandexpo.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Overlandexpo.com. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. Now, I want to tell you about the Giant Loop difference. Inspired by years of personal riding experience and and feedback gathered from riders across the globe, Giant Loop designs products for travel, discovery, and exploration. They believe that lighter and simpler is better and how we ride shouldn't be dictated by what's strapped in our vehicles, that riding is just plain more fun when unnecessary weight and bulk are removed. Who can argue with that? Giant Loop focuses on what's needed to serve the product's mission. No extra straps and buckles, no everything in the kitchen sink design. So instead, each product is purpose-built to do its job. They also make liquid reservoir bags to carry on your motorcycle. They make two different styles. One is called the Armadillo. Those bags are for liquid hydrocarbon products. And the other one is the Cactus Canteen for water. If you've ever had need for extra liquid water or hydrocarbons, you should look at these containers that Giant Loop makes. Matter of fact, they won an award at a show for one. GiantLoopMoto.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. GiantLoopMoto.com. Well, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, it's summertime, or at least almost summertime. That means camping. And if you're interested in camping from your motorcycle, there is no better place to deal with in the world than somebody who specializes in motorcycle camping. It is the motorcycle camping store. I think it's the only one like it. It's called motocampnerd.com, owned by Ben and Mary Williams. It is in Archdale, North Carolina, and this unique shop specializes in motorcycle camping gear. And it's a real store, not just an online store. They do that as well, and lots of it, but they're a real store that you can walk into, brick and mortar. Now, they handle big names like Nemo, Big Agnes, Sea to Summit, all of those things. But the best thing is they're campers themselves. They're passionate about motorcycle camping, and they are more than happy to help sort you out. If you have questions about what gear you should have or why one is better than the other for your application, just send them an email, give them a phone call. The website is motocampnerd.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Motocampnerd.com. Why make things hard on yourself? I mean, do you swim with rubber boots on? Of course not. So why are you standing on pegs that aren't properly designed for your style of riding? Well, to be fair, the manufacturer only has so much money to spend on those components when they build it, so that's what you get. But the great thing is that you can change them. And you know what? The OEMs know that serious riders are going to change their foot pegs. Quality, properly designed pegs from IMS products are designed specifically for adventure riding. They have a full line of them, varying in size from large to smaller, all race tough. And if you're like most people, just by installing IMS products foot pegs on your bike will make it look like you've had a huge advancement in skill level because they connect you to your bike like you've never been connected before. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So let's just talk for a minute, though, about that patch that you put on and the cement that you used. You have some recommendations for patches and cement. Can you talk about those? Well, 
you can go down to the auto parts store and buy a very inexpensive uh, tire patching kit. And very expensive means it's, you know, maybe less than five bucks. But you're going to get what you pay for. Um, it might be good for a beach ball or it might be good for an inner tube that you're going to do a river floaty on. But it's not necessarily the best thing for a motorcycle tire under heavy load at high speed where you trust your life. Um, rubber cement, well, while it will stick to uh, a tire or a, a tube, is really not a very good adhesive seal. And understand that these tubes and tires heat up a lot. And as they heat, the rubber cement can start to lose its adhesion and the patch can open up. Um, the hole can be exposed again and you'll develop another leak. Uh, better than a, a rubber cement type of repair, you get yourself a vulcanizing type of repair. And a vulcanizing really refers to a heat process. Uh, I'm not referring to that technical term. It's, it's more of a chemical vulcanizing where a special glue uh, partially dissolves the rubber of the tube and that same glue activates and partially dissolves the, the uh, patch surface. And then a short time later, a chemical reaction takes place and now the two pieces of rubber become as one. That is your best and safest method of making a tube repair is using a vulcanizing patch. So I would steer clear of rubber cement. I would steer clear of, you know, the, the nickel and dime tire repair uh, kits you might find at an auto parts store. Uh, do your research, um, spend a little extra money, get a good kit that uh, gives you the best components because we're talking about our life and safety here. Let's not, let's not scrimp on something that's that important. How do you tell a good brand though? I mean, what, what are we looking for? You know, I don't want to get into brand names. Um, there are kits that, you know, Monkey Grip is one that I would say is the lower end. I, there's other brands that are made by other companies. I can't bring any to mind. Uh, I make a kit that comes to us from the trucking industry that they use to repair semi-truck tires and tubes. And that uses a vulcanizing compound. But when you're looking at this kit, uh, just, just look at the components and do a little research in how it works. And if they don't say a vulcanizing uh, glue uh, and, you know, explain the process, then I would probably steer clear of it. Here's the thing. If you're, if you're on a trip and that's all they have, use what they have. Uh, just be aware that you may not have the best. And if you can, then get back and, and either replace the tube or uh, upgrade the next time you're out because uh, you want to get something that's going to be a permanent and a safe patch over time. And I can tell you that I've got tubes that I've used for, I don't know how many patches they've got on them. Those patches never failed using a vulcanizing compound, but the tube has certainly had more than one hole over its lifespan. They look like they've got uh, chicken pox or something. There's so many holes in them, but they're still, they're still working fine. Do you have any tips for inflating the tire and getting it onto the bead? Well, in the case of a tube tire, uh, getting it onto the bead is pretty simple. You just add air and the, the inner tube will push the sidewalls out into contact with the rim. So how do you add air? Well, you can, you can get a hand pump and uh, 
There are hand pumps and hand pumps. You want to get a pump that's designed for high pressure, low volume, as opposed to a low pressure, high volume. But what's the difference? Low pressure, high volume is good for filling uh, rafts and inner tubes, but it's real hard to get 40 PSI out of them. Whereas a high pressure, low volume, it gives a you know 100 PSI push of air, and uh, but it does it in very small whiffs. So you're going to have to pump 100 times to get it filled up. I've got one of those hand pumps that you can switch from one to another. It's a pretty, pretty trick little kit. Or, you, you know, the old bicycle inner tube pump that you see Charlie Chaplin using, pumping up tires. I mean, that will work over time. But you have to also give consideration to the size and how convenient it is to carry on the bike. Um, there's foot pumps that you can use that instead of using your hands and shoulders, it's got a little lever and, you know, you're pushing down with your foot. And those are good. Make sure it's a high pressure, uh, low volume. And uh, you just have to look at how big is it, how much space do you want to dedicate to that. Um, and then you can get into electric tire inflators, which is how I've gone because I don't like pumping. And there's a whole bunch of them out there. We've talked about this before. Um, you do get what you pay for when it comes to a 12-volt inflator. Uh, some of them are very low-powered and take a long time. Others... Don't take very long. They draw more power, but they're they're more powerful, more reliable. And there's a whole bunch of brands out there. Uh, you know, I make my own, the cycle pump, but there's some other really good brands. And I think the key to it is to have something. Test it before you go on a trip. Make sure it actually works. Make sure that your power supply unit, you know, whether you're getting off your dash or your battery tender pigtail, that you're getting enough power to run the thing. and uh, you know, if you can upgrade to something better in the future, Yahoo. If you're comfortable with what you got, Yahoo. The key is to have something that you can use to fill the tire because once you've made the repair, if you've got no way to put air back in, you're dead in the water. So have a, have a plan, have a budget, um, make your best choice, buy the best repair kit that you can because that's the foundation for this building. And, uh, you know, educate yourself and watch some videos and, uh, you know, maybe even if you've got an old tube that you're not using anymore, practice on that. See how it works. Okay, so that was tube-type tires. Now we're going to talk about tubeless tires. And the interesting thing, I think, right off the bat with a tubeless tire is that you have so much more choice of ways to deal with a flat. And it's easier on top of it being easier. But you have so much more choice than, than basically just putting a patch on your tube and, and putting it back in. Well, yeah, you do. Um, so tubeless tire, first the definition is there's no inner tube. The airtight seal is created between the sidewall of the tire and the rim all the way around on both sides. So you have an airtight air chamber and you get a nail or a screw or whatever it might be. Uh, none of the drama that goes along with tube repairs because all you have to do is identify the hole, pull out the offending Mr. Nail, and use some type of a plugging kit to fill that void and then fill the tire back up. And it's literally a five-minute process uh, without a lot of drama. So, you know, what are the different styles of tubeless tire repair? There's gummy worms. There's mushroom plugs. There's 
rubber impregnated strings or uh, there's vulcanizing strings. There's a slime sealant, which I might mention, you can use slime in tube tires, but it's not as effective because often tubes will have a tear, which is bigger than the slime can overcome. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, you've got all these different tubeless repair options and some work okay. Some will probably get you home and others are just about as good as having a new tire, uh, even though you might be breaking your 50-50 rule. Well, slime is, it's not so much a, a um, necessarily as a, as a repair. You can put that in advance and run with it as sort of a preventative thing. Right. It's a viscous liquid that you put in the tire through the, the uh, valve stem. Can't do it with uh, TPMS valve stems, tire pressure management valve stems. It has to be a traditional valve stem. But you take this can or this this jar and you squeeze it in through the hole and it's this syrupy looking substance and it, it has some little black flecks in it. And then you go and you take the bike for a ride. And as you ride, this this sealant coats the inside of the tire and then it, I wouldn't say it hardens, but it, I guess you'd say gels or solidifies, creating a, a, a lake, a small lake or a pool on the uh, outer part of the, on the outer part of the innermost portion of the, the tire assembly. So it's not going to hit the sidewalls. It's just going to be down the middle of the tire. And so when Mr. Nail goes through that hole, punctures that hole, uh, the, the goo will kind of self-seal. It'll, it'll flow back into the hole where Mr. Nail used to be, or even still is, until you pull it out, and that goo will hopefully uh, prevent air from coming out. It's a good theory, and it has worked, um, but I'd say it's just a temporary measure to get you that first 50 miles because there's nothing to guarantee that that thing won't continue to ooze. And you'll often see slime repaired tires, you know, come rolling into a rally and there's still ooze bubbling out. The, the tire pressure is still pushing that, that solution out through the hole. It may or may not seal over time, but I don't think I'd trust it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is it makes a huge mess. Now, now I, having said that, I, I have had it on a, a tube type wheel one time. The tube was completely gone, like it had torn inside and the tire was sealed. I was surprised. It was leaking very slightly, but it was a good seal on it. So that was one great story from it. But other times I've had it where I, I go to pull it out and you've just got a mess. Like this stuff is everywhere. And Oh, and- I tell you what, the uh, the technicians, tire technicians at a motorcycle shop, when they see that there's slime in the tire, they just hang their head. It's just, oh, it's, it's a terrible mess. Yeah, it's yeah. just a mess. That, that, so that's something but, to keep in mind if it doesn't right, work. Well, and, and like you said, chances are that it may not work. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, hey, at least it's something. Yeah. Yeah. Just something and, to keep yeah, in mind. I should, should mention that there's, there's a kit or a, a product out there that, that contains not only the sealant, but it also contains pressurized air. So when you have a puncture, you remove Mr. Nail and then you attach this can and turn it upside down and screw it down on the valve stem and it inserts not only the sealant, but also enough, theoretically enough air to reinflate the tire. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but understand that if that doesn't do the job, you've used your only can of pressurized sealant 
and there's no chance to do another repair. So, you know, I don't know how many of those cans you carry with you on the trail, but, you know, probably not more than one. Mm. I carried one for a while and we, and we did that exactly that. We used it on a flat tire and it didn't work. And then we were right into what I was saying before. We were pulling it apart because yeah. this was a tube type tire and it was pulling it apart, trying to patch a tube with the stuff coming out of it. And it's just, again, it was just, just a bit of a nightmare. So in that case, I wish I had never tried to put it in because I made the job much worse to begin with. So I was trying to get the quick fix thing. But um, right. so, so what are our choices then other than slime? Well, uh, I think everybody that's been around the community long enough has heard about gummy worms. Uh, gummy worms are a, a string that has a, uh, it's got a core. Sometimes it's made out of cloth and or other materials. I don't quite know what the, the core component is, but the outside of it looks like rubber cement boogers or like a toddler's booger, I guess you'd call it. Uh, sticky to the touch. Right. Yeah. So you found Mr. Nail and you've pulled out Mr. Nail and then you use a tool that comes in in the uh, gummy worm kit which is a reamer and what it, it it's either a rasp type of uh, spiral tool or something to to ream the hole out to make it big enough for the the gummy worm to be pushed back into the hole and you, you stick this tool in several times back and forth you're cleaning out the hole removing any sharp edge you're trying to make a round hole and then you take the gummy worm and you thread it onto what looks like a crochet hook so that it's it makes a T and then you take and you twist and push this gummy worm down into the hole uh, so that most of it is inside and the tails are sticking out. And then you pull the tool straight back out. And what that does is it leaves the gummy worm halfway in, halfway out. And the idea is that the, the sticky boogery toddler snot stays in that hole and creates the airtight seal so that you can reinflate your tire and, and keep going down the road. I've had experience with those. Um, one episode at a rally, a guy rolled in and he'd used a gummy worm and it was a hot day and the heat of the tire, the heat of pavement caused the gummy worms to get hot and they were oozing out of the hole. And I think he, the hole continued to get bigger because they worked themselves in the hole. And by the time he got to the rally, came walking up to me and showed me the tire and I put my finger on those gummy worms and they popped, I pushed on it. They popped right inside the tire. Mm. At least he got to where he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So that that had a semi-happy ending. And I cleaned up the hole and put some vulcanizing strings in. And off he went with a smile on his face. He wisely rode 100 miles to a dealer and got a new tire. But at least he didn't have any leaks from the time he left me. So gummy worms are good. They're probably the most uh, widely used tubeless tire repair method out there. Um, and you know, they have a, a use and they are pretty good within certain limitations. And if you've got one Yahoo, at least you're prepared for that event. Mm-hmm. And like you say, if, if it gets you out, that could be enough depending on where you That's, are. Yeah. Well, we're, we're looking at the 50 miles to help type scenario, mm-hmm. uh, at this point. So at least you didn't ruin your day and you're not sitting there waiting for the wrecker. So that's good. Okay. What's next? Rubber mushroom plugs. Um, Company makes a plug-in kit that uses these plugs that look like little mushrooms. And once again, the, you remove Mr. Nail, you ream out the hole with the reamer that comes in the kit. And then you take this mushroom 
and you put it into a special insertion tool that uh, forces using a, a crank or a screwdriver and a wrench to physically force this tool through this tiny opening of the insertion tool so that it, the head goes into the inside of the tire and once it clears the, the, uh, the tool, the head pops open like a little parachute and then you pull the entire insertion tool out. And then you grab the end of the tail and you give it a tug and you pull that mushroom head tight up against the inside of the tire carcass. And the idea is that you've created a, uh, a plug in the hole to prevent uh, air from escaping. And, you know, those kits, I used to sell them. They're, they're reasonable solutions. Unfortunately, the mushroom plugs are lubricated with motor oil. Uh, and the reason that they're lubricated with oil is they have to be slippery so they'll go through the tool and not tear. Well, you have a, a rubbery mushroom that's been oiled inside a, a rubber hole of the tire, and the oil doesn't lend itself to sticking rubber to rubber. So you have basically a lubric lubricated plug uh, in the tire, and I've seen instances where when you roll over a stone or a small stick, there's enough lubrication that it causes that mushroom to pop inside the tire. Mm. And then once again, you have a, a tire issue. You could do it. You could, you know, put another mushroom in and, you know, two or three or four. I think the kit comes with, I don't know, five or 10. I don't remember what they're offering now. But once again, this is a kit that, you know, if it gets you home, it gets you home. Uh, not something that I would rely upon for long term. But if it, uh, if it does the job and you get back to where you need to be, then let's call that a success. I would upgrade as soon as I could. I remember many years ago they had them for automotive stuff. That was um, it wasn't a mushroom, but it was just sort of a like a piece of, sh of licorice. You know the short pieces of licorice that are cut off. Yeah, and you put it in a tool, and you, and you it was basically like a syringe. So there's the just like you're describing the the metal tube that you would shove into the hole in the tire, and then that's the size of the hole, the metal tube, and then this rubber is much bigger than that. But you force it in there, and you push it down with the plunger. And it would go and stick in. But in this case, they didn't use motor oil for it. It was it was a specific type of uh, lubricant that made it slippery to go in, but then would dry out. And this thing would ideally expand on, other, on either side. I mean, I wouldn't say it was the best repair even back then, but um, it seemed to work. And I, I certainly don't like the idea of motor oil. That, um, that does seem strange. Well, that's probably not a widely known fact, but I because I used to sell them, I, I'm familiar with what, was used. I'm not aware that they're using any type of a compound that is slippery when it's wet and uh, then uh, chemically changes to an adhesive type. I, I think it's important that whatever you, you use to make the repair, there has to be some adhesion, a chemical of some sort to prevent that, that plug from moving. Mm -hmm. And remember that when you, if you look at a, if you took a tire and cut a cross section, uh, if you're in the middle of the tread block, you might have three-eighths of an inch, half an inch of rubber that you're going through. But if you if you have a hole that's in between the treads, uh, you're looking at three-sixteenths or a quarter of an inch. So, you know, there's not much to really hold that that repair in place. You better pad your chances and get something that uh, is chemically adhered, chemically adheres the repair to the rubber itself. Mm. Uh, much better way to go.
That's that's a really good point. And, and that thin rubber is on top of that flexing continuously on the motorcycle. Always. Yeah. yeah. Flexing and heating. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. What What's next? Well, rubber impregnated strings. So it's kind of a, a riff on the gummy worms, but instead of using the the toddler boogers, it's got a string that has some type of a, what they call activated rubber that is on the outside of a cotton string. And at the end of this is a small brass pointy penetrator. And it's a cute little kit. You know, it fits in the palm of your hand. I mean, it's it's wonderfully designed. And the idea is that the kit has different tool components and you unscrew the end and you put in the reamer. So you ream out your hole and then you remove the reamer and you put in the insertion tool and you push this this rubberized cotton string into the hole so that the the uh, metal penetrator is inside the tire and then you remove the tool and you have the tail hanging out. And the idea is that this uh, activated rubber will stick to the, uh, the tire carcass itself and will get good adhesion and plug the hole. It's a great idea. Um, the trouble is that those the diameter of those strings is pretty doggone small. So if you've got... Uh, you know, like a 16-penny nail hole, by the time you reamed it out, you may not have a big enough string to do a good job of plugging that hole. You, you Whatever you put into that hole, you want, to, want it to be, you know, slightly bigger than the actual hole itself so that there's some pressing out against the, the tire carcass. Um, but if your string's too small and it can't do that, then air's going to leak past that uh, repair. And reliability on this is? Well, uh, if it gets you home, it gets you home. But I would say it's on the lower end of the reliability scale and certainly not a long-term repair that that I would rely upon to go, you know, more than that first 50 miles. This last one that you have is what you consider to be the the best type of, of plug repair, is it? It is. And if I knew of a better way, I'd... I'd be banging the drum and I'd probably be selling it. But the, the best the best kit is a kit that, that has vulcanizing strings and uses a vulcanizing glue compound. And like with other uh, tubeless tire repairs, you have, have to use a tool to, well, first you remove Mr. Nail and then you use a tool to ream out that hole. You're making room for the repair and you're also cleaning up the hole so that uh, it's, you know, ready for your, your string and then you you take the the vulcanizing string remove the protective coating much like you'd find on the coating of a tube repair and then you slobber that string and the end of the tool with this vulcanizing glue well that serves two purposes it's makes it uh, slippery or lubricated so it can go in the hole and it also prepares that that uh, string for the chemical process that's about to take place and then using your your hand and your index finger as a guide, you push this string into the hole so that about half an inch of the strings are still hanging out the outside. And then you pull the tool out, leaving a loop of string inside and two puppy dogs' tails on the outside. And then you put your tools away and you pull out your your method of inflation. And literally by the time you get that done, 
this chemical reaction is taking place. It's not visible, but it takes place. And these strings are chemically bonded to the rubber of the tire. And it is, it is by far the best method that I've seen. And it comes from the trucking industry. And if they can repair semi-truck tires that go 80 miles an hour down the highway carrying 100,000 pounds, it's probably suitable for motorcycles. And that has been my experience. Um, When I used to do demos at rallies, I would pull out a tire that I'd done with all these different types of repairs. And I'd give a guy a pair of pliers and I say, I challenge you to pull this vulcanized string out of the hole. Didn't happen. They could, nobody could pull it out. Yeah, nobody could pull it out. I mean, it was there. And so if it'll do that, then, uh, you know, it's going to stick in your tire and it's going to get you where you need to go. Now, once again, the 50-50 rule, uh, you know, for liability and all those other reasons, uh, this is only a temporary repair. But from my personal experience, every one of these repairs I've ever done using vulcanizing strings and glue, I put the, the repair in and I rode that tire until it was time to put on another tire. I mean, mm, wow. you know, 8,000 8, miles, whatever the, the mileage was, mm-hmm. I don't even think about it. But that's me. That's not a company policy or uh, tech tire repair corporate policy. But that's just from my experience. Those things work so well that they are the the gold standard for tire repairs for tubeless tires. Now, this is kind of, it's very similar to the gummy worm, isn't it? With the exception of the, of the vulcanizing process. Right. Well, yeah, anything that uses a string to stick in the hole is, there's some similarities. Uh, you know, if, if the gummy worms had a, a glue of some sort that would cause them to adhere, that would certainly improve their reliability and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, the trouble is that that gummy on the outside, the, the toddler booger, I think of it like, uh, you know, old rubber cement balls that when you use rubber cement, you could take and roll that stuff in between your fingers and turn into a big ball. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what that stuff is like. And it doesn't lend itself to longevity. It'll wear out quickly. And so there, there is a disadvantage to that. But if that's what you have and, and it gets you where you need to go, then any of these methods that we've described are successful. Right. But if you're going to do it, why not use the vulcanizing string if you can get it? And then at least you've got a repair that's likely going to, well, definitely going to last longer than the others or, or most likely going to last longer. And if you're so inclined, you could leave it that way. I, I, I agree. Um, I do. You know, like I said, I ride my tires until they're, they're ready to be replaced. And when I look at the, the tread pattern and I try to find where that vulcanizing string was, uh, I can find them if I look because it's a slightly different color, but they really have become part of the tire and they wear this at the same rate as the tire itself. You know, no pushing into the tire with my index finger, like with the gummy worms, no popping into the inside, like with the mushrooms, no leaking like you find with the, uh, the little cotton impregnated string. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems to be the best um, unless somebody's come up with a new way to create the wheel. I think that as far as today's technology, it's about as good as we're going to find in the motorcycle industry. So tube or tubeless, whichever you have, the key word you're looking for when you're looking for your your patch or you're looking for your plug is the word vulcanizing. Right. And, you know, not to be mistaken with uh, 
you know, Charles Goodyear with his invention of vulcanized rubber, he was using sulfur and heat. Well, we're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about a chemical, chemical vulcanizing. I don't know why they use that term, but that's what they do. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it dissolves the tire for a moment or however long. It dissolves the patch or the string for however long. And then they say, okay, it's time to change direction. Now let's harden up and become as one. It's like, like a two-part epoxy, I guess. Uh, once you put the hardener in with the, the other part and give it a little bit of time, they become pretty doggone strong. And that's that's what you're trying to achieve with any type of repair is the strongest, most reliable and durable uh, repair that you can so that you can get back on the trail and, and have a successful ride. And although it may be a, a hiccup along the trail, uh, it's not a big one. Mm-hmm. You've certainly made me think again about uh, sealing my rims. <laughs> I've, I've I meant to do it, and you know, it's I just something I haven't got to. But just even just talking through the process, yeah. I mean, anyone with a tubeless tire has it so much easier. It really is. I mean, it's yeah. You're going to spend a day or two on a on a tubeless conversion. Um, just so you know, I don't sell any of the components that I show in in my video. Utex makes a. Uh, tubeless conversion tape, but I took it to the next level and I use a 3M sealant on every spoke nipple. And then I cover that with a 3M high bond uh, tape. And those that's, it's really a, a good type of a conversion. Oh, I see. So and you're doing the so, same thing, but you're doing it with your own uh, parts, your own, your own, um, you're not using their tape and, and whatnot. No, no, I'm not using their tape. It's a 3M I've got a video on it, and it shows the components at the end of the video. I don't sell any of them. Um, I just, it was just an informational video. Right. And it's a little bit, you know, it's a little pedantic in the sense that, you know, there's steps to it. And, uh, you know, you're, you're cleaning things up, and then you're sealing every single spoke nipple on the inside mm-hmm. with this sealant, making a little bubble over it. And then once that's cured the next day, well, it takes two days because you do half the tire one day, half the half the wheel one day, the other half the next day, and the third day you're doing the, the tape. And I'm telling you, that thing is just bulletproof. Um, you know, it'd be wonderful if you had rims from the manufacturer like BMW provides that it's not an issue. Uh, God bless the engineers at Munich for doing that and the, the guys at Yamaha for creating. I think, I think KTM's got a variation on it. I know BMW had the patent and they may have sold rights to some of these other companies, but there are some other clever companies out there that have created a spoked wheel tubeless system that uh, gives you all the advantages of a tubeless tire and all the, the repair advantages over a tube tire. Mm-hmm. What happens if you have to tighten your spokes after you do this method of sealing the, the um, spoke individually? You know, I get a lot of questions on that. <laughs> yeah, you, First thing you do is when you take the rim off, you know, you go around and you, you check the wheel and you, you use a wrench or a uh, screwdriver again, sheet spoke to make sure that it's not loose and you get them all in tune. Or if the wheel's out of true, if it's, it's got to wander to it, you have to make corrections. You, you got to make sure things are working before you start on the next process. But once you get them all tight, once that adhesive goes on the, those spoke nipples, it's very unlikely that they're going to loosen. And why do spokes go out of, out of tightness? You know, why do they get uh, either too tight or too loose. It's because the, the nipple head turns. It's not that that spoke is stretching or shrinking. 
it's because the nipple head turns. So if you mm. can lock that nipple head in the proper position, the chances of those nipples turning again or the spoke becoming loose or too tight are virtually non-existent. Mm. Now, what if you're out on a trail and you get a, uh, a, uh, a stick through the spoke and you break a spoke? Well, you know, that's a different kettle of fish. You would have to take the wheel off. You'd have to pull out the offending spoke. You'd have to cut the sealant and the tape, you know, cut out the sealant, and you'd put in a new spoke and a new nipple, and then you'd re-adhere using the sealant and then cover that cutout in your adhesive tape, and then you're back to work. Mm. But who carries a spare spoke? <laughs> like yeah, most I, people are going to. But, but the one thing you could do is you could carry a, a tube with you and throw a tube in it to get home. That's right. So, uh, and we'll talk about that for a moment. I've had guys with uh, tubeless tires where they had a sidewall cut or something like that that could not be repaired using a tubeless repair kit because there's no tubeless repair kit that will do a sidewall tear. Um, you know, I've seen guys stitch up the sidewall with zip ties and then put a tube inside. And what they're doing is they're, they're putting an airtight bladder in that tube to hold the tire in place on the rim, you know, provide some pneumatic cushion. Um, you know, even though I, I have tubeless tires uh, now on the 800 converted, I carry a front inner tube. Now, why front and not a rear? I only carry one. Mm-hmm. Why front and not rear? Because the front inner tube will fit in the front wheel and it'll fit in the rear wheel. And it may have a kink in it. It may be a little snaky inside, but it will fill the, the hole and provide what I need to keep that tubeless sidewall pushed out against the rim. But I can't take a rear tube and put it in the front. It just will not fit over that 21 inch front rim. So if you're only going to, if you're going to go tubeless, uh, whether you did a conversion or you've already got a tubeless bike and you want to pad your chances, uh, you carry both front and rear tubes. And if you want to cut down on your bulk and weight, you carry just the front tube because, you know, the chance of having a catastrophic sidewall cut or something, uh, it's, it's fairly small. But, you know, having a chance to fix it if you had to, uh, you know, why not go that extra mile uh, to prepare for the worst? Now, I just want to go back to the, the inflation thing for just a quick second. So aside from a 12-volt inflator, do you carry any sort of backup? Well, I used to, um, because I'm the guy that always has the kitchen sink in the saddlebag. Well, you're the guy that I said runs up and, and dives in to help somebody with their flat tire. Yes, which I've done that a number is, of times. Right, which people think is great because nobody wants to do it. Nobody's very good at it. And here comes David. All right, go for it. Uh, I, and I've been at places with friends that they're struggling with this. And I finally give up. You get out of my way. <laughs> I want to get on the trail. Let me take care of this. <laughs> so, um, uh, so what do I... I have carried a small hand pump, you know, like a tubular hand pump that had uh, the ability to go high pressure, low volume. Like a bicycle pump. switch. Well, not a bicycle. Well, I guess it would be, yes. And low pressure, high volume. Uh, it probably came from the bicycle world because they're big on that. But I also liked the fact that I could use that to fill my air mattress at night. So it could do both tires on a bike and mm-hmm. it could also do the air mattress. Makes I sense. used to, I've become so confident in, in my cycle pump that I don't do that anymore. Uh, but I did 
yield to laziness. And I, I took a 12 volt air mattress, the kind that you'd use to fill, you know, beach balls and things like that. And I cannibalized it and, and made it into a little kit that is about the size of a softball. The 12 volt air mattress. Yeah. Air mattress inflator. Right. Yeah. Right. Cut off all the plastic and just kept the big bits and, you know, wired a special switch and it plugs into my battery tender pigtail. So I carry two 12 volt inflators, one for the air mattress and one for the, for the tires. And, you know, I've not only just filled motorcycle tires, I've also repaired car tires and truck tires along the way and used the pump for that. So I'm Mr. Handy when it comes to being on the trail. <laughs> How big is this air mattress? <laughs> well, it's just a, it's just a big Agnes, you know, it's probably, I don't know, 20, 30 inches wide and six feet long and four inches thick. Four inches I like thick. My, wow. I like my comfort, Jim. <laughs> geez. So my, my mattress, I've still got one of those self-inflator ones, you know, the Thermarest style. I think, geez, mine couldn't be more than an inch thick, I don't think. Well, you know, I'm a little older than you, so uh, I like my creature comforts. And, you know, there are times <laughs> when I've forgotten to take the 12-volt uh, air mattress inflator, so... You know, the tent is set up and everything's ready to go and dinner's cooking. And so I sit down on a log at the campfire and I start blowing into this mattress. And after about 20 puffs, you're passing, you out. know, usually at a high altitude, yeah, I have this gentle fall over in my chair and I <laughs> <laughs> take a sip of beer and then start over. It, I think I counted at one time, it was like, I don't know, 60 breaths of air to fill this up. But uh, the comfort that I get from it is well worth the pain. Right. I mean, you know we have to consider budgets and what people uh, can afford in their previous buying decisions. And if they're comfortable with the things that they have, Yahoo, mm -hmm. the key to it is at least have a plan so that when you have something come up, you're not having to create a plan and uh, you know, a little prior preparation uh, prevents a lot of, a lot of sadness down the trail. Yeah. What about CO2? Ah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, CO2, well, that's another method of inflation. And BMW used to come with a little kit that had a repair, uh, like a figure eight and a little bit of glue and three CO2 cartridges and a, an adapter to fit on the valve stem. And I actually did a test on that one time to see what kind of pressure would I get in the rear of my, uh, I think it was 1100 GS at that time, using three CO2 cartridges. And I think I got... Out of three small common CO2 cartridges, I think I got 12 to 15 PSI mm. and uh, out of three of them. And, you know, that might get me home in first gear, but it certainly wouldn't take me up to highway pressure. Um, and so I checked and did more of them. And I think I figured it took anywhere between six and eight, maybe as many as 10. I wrote a paper on it. It's on the website. That, that showed how many CO2 cartridges it took to get up to highway pressure. And it was remarkable. So if you have the space and, and maybe you get a deal from your brother-in-law on CO2 cartridges, that's the way to go. And then we have the larger uh, CO2 cartridges. You know, they, they look like a... Yeah, know, the mega one. Yeah, the mega ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are like 40 bucks a shot. So they would get you up to highway pressure, but one-time inflation, $40. Yeah. Uh, and if something goes wrong, like if you're, you're yeah. inflating a, a, for instance, if you, your, your tubeless tire comes off the rim and you're trying to get it back on the bead and that 40, $40 shot of air doesn't get it, doesn't get the, that bead seated. 
Well, that's pretty disappointing. It is. It is. I didn't mention it. These, this would be a tubeless tire issue. If, you're, if your rim comes off, tire. or if your tire comes off the rim, which can happen if you have a hole in your tubeless tire and you ride it long enough, the tire will squirm side to side, and eventually the, the uh, connection, the airtight connection between the rims and the sidewalls will break loose. That's called breaking the bead. Trying to get a tubeless tire back into the proper position can be very frustrating. And in the field, it's, it's, uh, it's daunting. Uh, any inflator out there, you know, unless it's a, a Sears stand-up five-horsepower, 100-gallon compressor, you know, you blast a bunch of air, that'll do it. But we're talking about the realities of being on the, on the road or the trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, no inflator will provide enough fast, instant pressure to blow those sidewalls outwards. And I, I thought about that, and I, I said, well, what do I have in the way of a high-pressure air tank when I'm out on the trail? Hmm. Oh, the other tire. Uh, why not turn that into a, a high-pressure tank and use an air hose to blast that, that other tire, the bad tire, outwards? No, and that's so how let I me just Let me just interrupt you there, because the difference between your air inflator, your air pump... And a compressor is that uh, it's it's kind of like taking the pump off the compressor, so you don't have the tank, and that's what you're saying. So what you're missing right. is that volume of air. Both of them will pump up air, but you need that volume of air to rush in there really fast, and that's what you're saying. Right. You need a huge blast of air to blow those sidewalls out. Yeah. So they make the initial contact, and once they make the contact, then you can begin to build pressure inside the tire. So back to this idea of the donor hose. Uh, I use my pump to fill up, let's say my back tires, I've lost my bead. I fill up the front tire to 50, 60 PSI, which is no big deal. And then I connect this donor hose, which is an air hose with an air chuck on both ends, connect it to the bad tire. And then I connect it to the good tire that's got 50 PSI, 60 PSI. And that instant rush of high pressure air will usually push those sidewalls out. So I get the initial seal. Mm, and you still have more chances with this too. That's a great as many idea. Times, as many times as I want. Yeah, because yeah, you just pump up that tire again. You've got another full uh, compressed tank of air there. Give it another shot. That's right. And, and during that process, one of the keys to it is to make sure that the, uh, the bad tire, the sidewalls, the, the bead of the sidewall is well lubed and that the rim is well lubed because the lube helps the tire slip into place and also helps create a better airtight seal than dry rubber to dry metal. Mm-hmm. So lube is a big deal, having lube. And, you know, some guys will use WD-40 or, you know, dish soap. Uh, I make something called bead goop. But, you know, anything that's slippery, if you had hand lotion, that would work too. Uh, the the whole thing of WD-40, I mean, I've heard this for years and it, uh, for a long time, it just made me cringe, the idea of spraying oil onto your tire to get it to seal. But I have tried it. It works unbelievably well. Um, I still don't know. <laughs> and, and actually I've done it and run with the tires until they're worn out and never had an issue with it. So I don't know. It seems to work. So if you're in a pinch and you got WD-40, well, that'll work. I, I have used it too. Um, the, you know, there's some concern about how, how does WD-40 affect the tire itself? You know, does it, does it uh, cause issues with the rubber? Uh, I haven't seen it. But of more concern is the WD-40 uh, 
is a lubricant. And if you have a high-powered bike uh, and you apply a lot of power to it, the, the tire can actually slip on the rim. Uh, that's also true with like hand lotion or uh, even if you had, uh, I, I've seen, heard of guys using beer. I mean, water is slippery. I, it seems like a waste of good beer to put it on a tire, but maybe that's all they had. <laughs> but the idea is you, you want an adhesion between the tire bead sidewall and the, the metal uh, and so that the, the tire is not slipping on the rim. And, you know, you, I ride KTM dirt bikes and, you know, high-performance dirt bikes have a rim lock for the purpose of mechanically preventing that wheel from spinning on the rim. And that's particularly true for those types of bikes because they're running really low pressure. And so that would allow that tire to spin if you didn't have a mechanical rim lock. Mm. That doesn't apply to most bikes, but, uh, you know, KTM guys will know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, high-performance bikes uh, off-road I don't think anybody on a street bike uses any kind of a rim lock. Well, that's great, David. Well, thank you very much. That, that was fantastic. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Jim. Always a pleasure. Talk to you later. Okay, just to wrap things up, just because this is technical and we talked about a lot of things, I want to go over the tools that David said that you should have to complete your repair. Before I do, though, I want to remind you of this. Even if you aren't sure that you can repair your own tire or tube, or perhaps you're a little squeamish about it, or maybe you just feel like you need more practice, take the toolkit anyway. Because if you find yourself with a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, you may just be lucky enough to have someone ride up that knows how to change it. Or at least they could help you figure out how to change it and how to do the repair. If you carry the tools required to fix your flat, your chances are very high that you're going to get it done one way or another. But if you don't carry the tools and somebody comes along that knows how to fix a flat, but they're riding a different bike and they don't have the tools to get your particular wheels off that bike, then you're stuck and you're waiting for a tow. So be proactive, carry the tools that you need to do your tire repair for your type of motorcycle. And one of the best ways to be sure that you have all the correct tools is to use only your toolkit when you're at home, removing the wheels to change a tire or fix a flat or do anything. When you're at home, practice with that toolkit, even just practice, just take them off and put them back on so you understand how to do it because it's stressful, as you know, when you run into a problem. So you don't want that added stress of, I don't understand exactly what I'm supposed to be doing here to do the repair. The repairs, as David said, they're fairly simple, fairly easy to do. So learning how to do them just expands your world. Now, if you're running tubeless tires, you can usually get away with just a tire repair plug set and a compressor. The plug set should include the plugs, a reamer, installation tool, and vulcanizing cement. And remember, that vulcanizing word was key here. There is a possibility that you could damage a tubeless tire in a way that you would have to remove the tire from the rim to do the repair. For instance, if the damage was extensive enough to require installing the tube, your backup tube, if you decide to carry one, of course, that would be a front. So it's your choice if you decide to carry all the tools to remove both front and rear wheels on a tubeless tire bike. But if it were me, I would definitely carry them. For the extra weight and bulk, it really opens up the possibilities for repairs with those tires, but also any other type of repairs that you may end up doing. So again, tubeless tires, David said your repair kit should include a tubeless plug set, that's vulcanizing strings if you want the best, and a compressor. And the plug set should have the vulcanizing strings, a reamer, 
an installation tool, and vulcanizing cement. Okay, that's tubeless tires. Now for those of us with tube type tires and do all the extra work when we get a flat, your kit should include all the necessary tools to remove both front and rear wheels from the bike. And don't forget, when you are taking the wheels off the bike, you're going to need some way to hold it up if you don't have a center stand. That could be something under the skid plate, but also some people make up these little ingenious sticks, which is kind of like, well, that's just it. It's a stick. It's got a foot on one end and a hook on the other, and you hook it into a spot on the bike. And basically it's like another side stand. So you're, you're making a center stand with these two. And there's a lot of very variations you can do with this. You can move it around. So just remember that it has to be strong enough to hold the, the weight of the bike. Now, if you do have a center stand, you're going to notice that when you put the bike on the center stand, it naturally lifts the front wheel off the ground, just the way the bike is balanced in the position of the center stand. But for the rear, you're going to need something to hold the back of the motorcycle up. So think rock under the skid plate or that stick that I just mentioned, which is a very handy tool. But you need to have that concept in mind of finding a way to hold the bike up. Now, one tip for those with a center stand, this is really important, I think. When you have the bike up on the center stand to remove the rear wheel, you should tie a rope from the center stand to the front wheel or use a strap, whatever you've got, from the center stand to the front wheel. So you're pulling the the center stand toward the front wheel. And what this does is this stops you from inadvertently pushing on the bike while you're at the back, putting that rear wheel on and folding the stand up and having the bike fall over and possibly injure you, do damage. I mean, it's, it's a calamity when it happens. So to stop that center stand from folding in, because that's the natural way it wants to fold. You push the bike forward, the stand folds up. So you put a strap or a rope or tie something from the center stand to that front wheel, make sure it's snug, and then you will stop that from happening. That's really important. Okay, so you've got all your tools to take the front and rear wheel off completely. You've already practiced at home. You know you've got the tools all set for that in your kit. Now what you're going to need is something to make the repair itself. So with a tube type tire, obviously you always have to take the tire off, as David said. The first thing you're going to need is tire irons. So you're going to need some good quality tire irons. Good quality ones are not necessarily long. They're just a good quality metal that they use in them so they won't bend or break on you. And and if you use those properly, you shouldn't be forcing them very hard. You don't want to bend a rim. But um, for the repair itself, once you get the tube out, this is what you're going to need. You're going to need vulcanizing patches, vulcanizing cement, some sort of scraper or scuffer to scuff up the area that you're going to put the patch onto, and then some sort of little roller to put the patch on, make sure the patch is is vulcanized or, or actually stuck down properly. Now, of course, the only other thing you're going to need with this, it's very, very important, is some way to inflate your tire. It doesn't matter whether it's a tube type or if it's tubeless. Obviously, if you've got a flat tire, you need a tire inflator. So whether it be an electric one or a hand pump or compressed air, your choice, decide which one you want. Now, what we've done with this information is we put it together in a PDF for you to download from the website. So if you want that list, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, look at the show notes for this episode and go ahead and download the list. Well, now you should uh, at least have a better idea and with some practice, be able to repair your own tire. really expands your world, I think, as as far as an adventure rider goes, any rider for that matter. That was David Peterson I was speaking to from Best Rest Products from his shop in Idaho. We've got uh, some photos and links in the show notes as well as the PDF all on our website in the show notes for this episode at adventureriderradio.com. 
Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and you, thank you very much for being a part of this by listening to the show. The other way you can help us out, it's a couple of different ways I'm going to get them to you here. The first one is the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support if you're not doing it already. A lot of people sit back and think other people are doing it, but really, it's just a small percentage of people that actually support the show step forward and support the show that you want to hear every week. We produce it every week. We never miss a week, or at least we haven't so far. Luckily, our health has been there and everything for it, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? The dedication is there on our part anyway. So what I'm saying. A- anyway, so adventureriderradio.com is the website. Click on support. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it. You can just do a simple cash donation if you want, like through PayPal or something like that, but we would really appreciate it if you'd sign up for a patron account. It doesn't take much money. Think about, you know, other things that you spend money on on a weekly basis and, the, and what you get out of Adventure Rider Radio. And if it's worth it for you, if it's worth it, then go ahead and sign up for patroning and give an amount for each month. We would appreciate it greatly. The other way that you could help out is by giving the show a five-star review anywhere you find podcasts. So go around to where the different spots you listen to. Give us a five-star review because that helps other people find the show. If you can do that, that we would really appreciate it. Now, just the other thing I want to mention to you was about Adventure Rider Radio Raw. That's the other show that we do. It comes out once a month. It's a roundtable talk of uh, about motorcycle travel. It's, it's a whole group of us that sit around and talk about things, different topics each month. You'll need to subscribe separately, so just go anywhere where you find your podcasts, search for Adventure Rider Radio Raw, and subscribe to that show and have a listen. It's very popular, and you may like it as well if you're not already listening to it. And don't forget to give Adventure Rider Radio Raw a five-star rating as well. You know, I forgot to mention that. That's a separate show. Please drop by anywhere you find podcasts, give it a five-star review, and it helps other people find the show. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week. Hello, here's Herbert Schwarz, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.